Man, oh man, I, I don't know if I even remember how to do this. We are back with episode four of Power Hour with Free Royal. I, of course, am Free Royal, and wow, it's been a long, it's been a long, long time. It's been about three weeks, and you know, I just want to welcome everybody back. And, you know, I'm doing this podcast now as a 30-year-old old head, so that's pretty <laughs> off-putting. Um, you know, it, it's, it's been a long few weeks, man. You know, I celebrated my birthday with a few close friends, went out to dinner. Um, then I went to New York for about a week, roughly. And, you know, just to clear my mind and prep for what's coming in the next few months, uh, as far as my music career is concerned. So I want to get mentally right as far as that was concerned and really just kind of you know, spoil myself because I never really do anything for myself. Um, as far as, you know, buying things for myself or taking trips or things like that, I'm just always working. So it was nice to take that week. And then I came back and took another week to work on some things, some things with the podcast, honestly. Um, and you know, some music, a few other things. So I'm glad to be back. I want to welcome you all back, and yeah, man, we're back to business. I'm going to have a lot more content going forward because I feel like I need more than just a podcast. I feel like there's a lot of things I can do with this channel. Um, I don't know how many of you are into gaming. I hope a lot of you because I'm a huge gamer. Um, I'm also a huge wrestling fan. I don't talk about wrestling much on here at all, actually. I don't think I've talked about it, but that's something else to think about, Um you know, actually, you can leave in the comments section, like, how many of you actually want to hear me talk about wrestling or gaming, for that matter? Because if you want to hear my thoughts on anything pertaining to wrestling or gaming, I'd be more than happy to include that in the topics in the weekly podcast and just make, you know, a few short videos about it weekly, because those are two things I'm actually very passionate about. As far as today... What we're going to talk about, we have a few things on the docket. Obviously, I can't cover everything for the past three weeks, but, you know, I'm going to hit the high notes here, and, you know, we, we, we got to talk about the MVP race in the NBA. I think it's really heating up. It's definitely not over uh, by any means. I think Joker and Embiid are pretty much even right now, and I'm going to talk about some things that have contributed to that. The World Baseball Classic. Yes, I'm talking about baseball again, right? For somebody that said they don't watch baseball. Um, I didn't watch the World Baseball Classic, but I'm going to talk about some things that, um, you know, they could take from the World Baseball Classic and implement into Major League Baseball that would add that excitement. It's some things that I've actually talked about before, but I'm going to echo it because this tournament sort of proves my point about a lot of things I've said about Major League Baseball. I'm going to talk about Dylan Brooks and just his whole thing with the Warriors because they have a they have a whole it's not a rivalry it's a grudge. Um it's not a rivalry and and Steph pretty much asserted that in the post game press conference when he was asked about it. We'll talk about that. Going to talk about some things on my mind because you know Lord knows I needed an <laughs> 
need a new title for that fucking topic, but nobody's been putting in names or, hey, it should be this, hey, it should be that, none of y'all, y'all just sit back and just don't say shit, but no, nah, it's all good, Um, and I'm gonna talk about also uh, Bones Jones versus Surreal Gone, because I didn't get to review that on here since I've been taking a few weeks off for the podcast, and I'm gonna t- also talk about Usman and Edwards, that was another fight, full transparency, I did not watch. Um, I was not about to buy that card, and I'm not really a fan of finding, like, crack streams and all these, like, illegal (laughs) ways to watch stuff, so I just chose to sit it out, but I'm gonna talk about some things that, you know, are gonna happen following that fight, and, um, you know, there's a lot of things going on in the UFC, and I'll probably cover all of that. Last but not least, I'm gonna talk about March Madness. Um, man, there's been so many upsets. And it seems like there's more than ever this year. And I think that is because of the fraudulent number one seeds that we had this year. I'm going to talk a lot about that. But let's start off with something else. I want to kind of pat myself on the back, you know, because I don't do it very often. But let's talk about Jim Cornette. Now, I just said. I don't talk wrestling on here, but we're going to we're going to give this a try. We're going to see exactly who knows who Jim Cornette is and the significance of what I'm about to tell you. all Jim Cornette was a very famous wrestling manager back in the 80s and 90s. He was known for wearing colorful suits and having a very colorful personality as well. Um, One of the greatest managers of all time, you know, Bobby Heenan, Jim Cornette, Paul Heyman, they're all sort of intertwined. Um, He has a podcast. He has a wrestling podcast. He also talks about politics sometimes, but he has two podcasts. He has the Jim Cornette Experience, and he has the Jim uh, Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru. Now, his co-host, Great Brian Last, he runs the Drive-Thru show. That's pretty much his show. It is... One of his um, shows in his collection of shows that he has at Arcadian Vanguard, which is, you know, it kind of like houses all of his shows, his podcasts. Long story short, they do song submissions every week on the drive through and, you know, people send in songs about wrestling. They send in songs about just, you know, a bunch of silly shit, right? Making fun of AEW, All Elite Wrestling, you know, sometimes we'll talk about WWE. But, you know, the first time I submitted a song, They played it and they loved it. And it was a song about AEW just sort of making fun of AEW and their shortcomings. This time I made another song about AEW and I submitted it a couple times and Brian probably didn't see it or just chose other songs, which, you know, they get a bunch of songs submitted. So I definitely understand it. But when he finally did play my song this week, they fucking loved it. And it was so humbling because, you know, Brian worked at Sony Music for a long time. And he's very knowledgeable about music. Jim Cornette's knowledgeable about music, too, even though he never was, you know, in the music business. But he's close friends with Rick Rubin. And like I said, Brian worked at Sony Music for a long time. So when they credited my vocals the way they did and they loved the song and my vocals as much as they did, it was just humbling um, I'm going to put a link to the tweet in the description box. I want you guys to, if you get a chance, just go and listen to the song. I'm probably going to make another YouTube page for my music 
and I'm going to start posting some stuff on there, but I kind of want to keep my music and this podcast a bit separate, so I'm not going to post, you know, a lot of stuff on this channel about it, but I just wanted to tell y'all because, like, I, I can't say how much it meant to me that they played my song and they liked it as much as they did because, you know, with me not being able to release music right now, like, original music with the beats that I'm working on that will contribute to my, you know, hopefully getting signed, it is very important to me that whenever I release something that is using my voice that people really appreciate it and get something from it and like it, and the fact that they loved it as much as they did was very important to me, and I thought I'd share it with y'all because y'all like family to me. So, I wanted to share that. Hopefully, y'all know who Jim Cornette is, one of the funniest people on earth, definitely when he's talking about wrestling, but really when he's talking about anything, and... You know, if you guys do know who Jim Cornette is, good or bad, it'll let me know that I can continue to talk about wrestling on here because it's something that I'm very, very passionate about. Um, so that was that was definitely some good news in the past few days. Another thing I want to talk about. So, so let's jump into this World Baseball Classic, okay? Um, for those of you who don't know, the World Baseball Classic is a tournament that is basically like the Olympics for baseball so all these countries come together they put together their super teams you got mexico dominican republic puerto rico obviously united states japan and they get all these great mlb players and put together these super teams these super national teams and they go at it so (laughs) it's funny to think about a lot of the baseball purists that don't want to make the season shorter. But what they don't understand is that at a fundamental level, why do tournaments like this work? Why do tournaments like the World Baseball Classic and the FIBA championships, the FIBA Basketball Championships, why do these things work? Because there's a short window And the best players in the world are competing against each other. So every game feels important. In baseball, I keep stressing this. When there's 162 games, there's no way that every game feels important. Teams go on 10-game losing streaks and still make the playoffs. You lose 10 games games straight in the NBA, you're a fucking lottery team. So... This tournament echoes what I've been talking about. Make the season shorter. Highlight your stars. Because, quite frankly, the major leagues, it does get a boost in the playoffs because, once again, we know what playoffs mean in sports. The games are very important at this point. If one team wins four games, and I know I'm talking about this in like a very elementary, but it's like, if one team wins four games, the series is over. It's that simple. My thing is, why can you not take all of this excitement and bottle it into a Major League Baseball season? You can. It doesn't have to be to the same level of a tournament. Obviously, the short window of the tournament is what causes a lot of the excitement along with the fact that some of the greatest players in the world are playing 
in this tournament. I get it. It's not going to be a one-to-one comparison as far as the excitement. But you're telling me you can't cut the season in half? And have more of the best players in the game play every time that they play? Every time that their team plays, I should say? So they're not getting days off, so to speak, when games are going on? If they weren't playing every day, there wouldn't be a need for them to have these deep ass rotations and all it's like no and i know what you're gonna say oh well you know the nba doesn't play every night right nah, it's completely different it's 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 that sport is a lot more physically taxing than baseball you can't tell me that we would not see the top pitchers in the league perform for longer healthy at full strength throughout their career, if there were less games. You can't tell me that that's not the case. You can't tell me that you would not rather see the top three pitchers in a rotation throughout the year rather than seeing your fifth in the rotation play on some random-ass Tuesday. How would you feel if you watched the NBA and three out of four games... LeBron James didn't play. That's how it feels to wait for Jacob DeGrom to take the mound again. Less games means more, you know, substantial publicity for a league that really needs these games to matter because people ignore baseball for months at a time. That's my only point. And market your stars. Market your stars because... And market your teams. Because the thing is, with this tournament, it's not even so much that they have to market the teams. Obviously, it's it's pretty cut and dry. It's national teams, right? But at the same time, if you were to market some of the teams that are really good in baseball that don't have all that acclaim to the casual fan, you can't tell me that it wouldn't draw more fans if you actually put some effort into marketing your players and marketing your teams. The way that they've advertised, even at a minimal level, this World Baseball Classic. I would say it's a fair assumption that most people who watch Sports Center or most people who watch sports in general knew of the World Baseball Classic, knew that it was coming up. But if you ask them who won the last five World Series, they can't name fucking three of them. So I say all this to say we really need to Stop pretending that baseball as a whole is dead. It's not baseball. It's Major League Baseball. And it's because of the fact that they just want to die on this hill of having 162 games. And it's just not, you know, you want to make all these changes. Pitch clock and, you know, fucking ban the shift and all that bullshit. How about you shorten the fucking season? Would that, based on the attention span of, people 
in today's society, would that not be more beneficial? Making the season less games? Can you tell me what the negative would be of decreasing the amount of games in a Major League Baseball season? I don't think anybody can. What's the negative? That you get to see the superstars more? That the games mean more? That you could book more night games, which automatically feel more important? Which means that you could book more games during times when people are actually home and can watch? Those are negatives? I don't think they're negatives. And I think Major League Baseball needs to take a close look at what they're doing in the World Baseball Classic and try to mirror that in the major leagues. Because the excitement that automatically comes out when there's patriotism involved, I'm not going to get into that, but the excitement coming from fans who are, you know, very prideful about the superstars that are wearing their colors, it does not matter if it's just about their country in this situation. They would show the same pride with a Major League Baseball team if they knew that instead of 162 games, there were 82 games, there were 80 games, something like that. Because it's very hard to get all invested into a 162-game season. It just is. But, I mean, you know, that, that people are going to disagree, and it's fine. I do not care. I want less games in a Major League Baseball season, and maybe I'll watch. Let's talk about this NBA MVP race, because over these past three weeks, it's gotten a lot more interesting. Now, I had Joker well ahead of everybody in the MVP race just three short weeks ago. But the Nuggets are on a significant slide right now. They don't have any major injuries, but they're on a significant slide because, quite frankly, as I've spoken about in the past, the Nuggets are frauds. That's what they are. They have revealed themselves to be frauds over the course of the past few seasons because, you know, you can go back to the bubble, right? They got annihilated by the Lakers. And a big part of the reason why they never play up to their potential when it truly matters. And a big part of that is because at the end of games, they are way too Jokic and Murray centric. And really during the course of games, they've been that way. So now that Murray isn't quite right now that he's still injured or trying to, you know, work his way back into what he used to be, which quite frankly, to me, wasn't really a top, top point guard to begin with. You're seeing the flaws. You're seeing the cracks in the armor of the Denver Nuggets. Part of the reason, a big part of the reason, matter of fact, the majority of the reason why I had Joker leading the MVP race was because of this, because of the fact that he was a center that was shooting 60% while taking, you know, not a big majority of his fucking shots at the basket. He was taking a lot of jump shots. He was taking a lot of fall away jumpers. He was taking 
a fair his fair share of threes, and he also is leading the league in assists, or was at one time. That's why I had him ahead in the race. Because looking at what Embiid has on his team, regardless of if his brain-dead coach, Doc Rivers, decides to use these other guys or not. And, and you know, let me go on a tangent for a little bit. You know, I find it really funny that Doc Rivers tried to give Tyrese Maxey this pep talk of, oh, you got to get your touches, you got to get the ball, you got to command the ball. Motherfucker, he's playing next to James Harden. James Harden ain't playing off ball for nobody. I started betting on sports, and I meant to talk about this in the intro, but I'll talk about it now. I started betting on sports since they brought it to Massachusetts. I bet on Tyrese Maxey to have 10 fucking points, and he couldn't get to double digits on a given night. Despite being 4 or 5 from the field in the first half. And when you watch these games and you watch in the fourth quarter where everything is this, oh, you know, we're going to dribble the ball to the corner and do this dribble handoff. And then we're going to toss it into the post um, with Embiid and we're going to just basically clear out. They did that four possessions in a row. DHO, you know, James Harden dribbles the ball to the corner, hands it off to fucking Tobias Harris. He throws it into the high post to Embiid and they just all clear out. And they kept doing it. And they turned the ball over three straight times. So, for all the people to talk about all the talent that Philly has, first off, they don't have a lot of talent. They have a starting lineup of talent. But more importantly, that talent doesn't get used to its maximum ability. Tyrese Maxey can score with the best of them. I think if Doc Rivers was smart, he would actually bring Tyrese Maxey off the bench so he can get more touches. He can't be himself when he's playing out there with James Harden. But back to Joker. Anyway, based on all this, based on the pieces that were around Joel Embiid, regardless of whether they're getting used or not, I had Joker as the MVP because of, yes, the stats he's putting up, yes, the impact he has on his team, But more importantly, the fact that his team, I know, is just historically fraudulent and they haven't proven not to be. Aaron Gordon is a serviceable player. He should not be your second best scorer. Wouldn't, you know, ailing Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., who still doesn't get really enough touches. He's another guy you bet on to score 10 points in a given night. He probably won't because he just doesn't give enough touches. This is the shit that drives me crazy now why is the mvp race closing so we talked about the fact that denver is fraudulent right the other part of it is that Embiid has played some of the best basketball of his entire career this year and he has basically led this charge as of late with philly where they are climbing the standings you know early on the season they didn't look very good they just didn't. I think Harden still wasn't really healthy. And he, he'll never be that player where he gets past, you know, he blows past defenders and uses those mismatches with bigs to his advantage. He He's never going to be able to match up Hunt like that again. He just isn't. That's in the past. But at the same time, looking at what Embiid is now doing 
to carry that team is very impressive. And with Denver slipping, it automatically elevates him. So I have them even now. Denver, I don't see any way they can quote-unquote get it together. I think this is who they are. I think a big reason why they had so much success in the regular season in those other years was really the same reason that they had success early on this year, which is just that the Western Conference always just has major injury issues. Whether it's the Lakers or the Clippers, you know, resting Kawhi. So they can kind of just, or they used to be able to take advantage of these lower level teams in the Western Conference. But now the Western Conference is even stronger than it used to be top to bottom. And it's become a problem for Denver, where on any given night they can get their shit pushed in because they're not as good as they've, you know, shown themselves to be in the past. I think people are starting to come around and realize that Joker doesn't quite have as much around him as everybody would make it out to be. That being said, when your team starts slipping in the standings, automatically the guy that is vying for your spot in the MVP race, if he continues his steady play, he's going to automatically rise in those rankings. It's going to be interesting to see down the line um, which player gains more momentum. If If Joker could somehow elevate his team to some wins in these last few games, He'll have the advantage, but if Embiid continues a steady level of play and the Sixers keep climbing, then it's hard to give it to Joker, right? I mean, it seemed like a landslide three weeks ago. But it's not anymore. All right, let's stay in the NBA because... Dylan Brooks... Dylan Brooks is a character, man. Let's talk about Dylan Brooks, specifically the Warriors versus Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks does a good job of doing what Patrick Beverly used to do very often, which is he gets under the opposing team's skin, especially ones that he knows are the top level teams in the league. Golden State, you know, their resume speaks for itself. Four-time champs. There's a chip on everybody's shoulder when they're going to face Golden State, but especially with Dylan Brooks. Him and Draymond Green, they're just a combustible element. Him and Klay Thompson, combustible. They both run their mouths, him and Draymond. It's just, it's just, you know, they always, it's not a rivalry, right? It's, it's, it's kind of like the Knicks. It's like the Knicks in, and, and the Bulls in the nineties. To me, that's not a rivalry. You didn't beat them. When Jordan was gone, you beat him. That don't count. You didn't beat him when he was there. It's not a rivalry. It's a grudge. Make no mistake about it. It's a grudge. Y'all hate each other. 
The Grizzlies hate the Warriors. Specific players on the Grizzlies hate specific players on the Warriors, but it's not a rivalry. You got to beat them. Steph said it. Draymond said it in, you know, Draymond way. But Steph said it a bit nicer. No, it's not. It's not a rivalry. At the same time, Dylan Brooks has found a way to get under their skin to the point where they have to go back to the same tired-ass rings argument every time they lose a game to Memphis, or really anybody. They keep doing the same shit with the Suns. Devin Booker and Klay Thompson were chirping back and forth, and they got to keep doing the same tired-ass rings argument. Look, we get it. You won four rings. Guess what? That only got shit to do with you getting your shit pushed in in this game. So, as far as what Draymond talked about with Dylan Brooks saying that he's the reason why Memphis isn't ready or they're never going to dethrone Golden State, so to speak, I disagree. Draymond's the exact same fucking player as him as far as getting in other players' heads and other teams' heads. This is the same dude that got ejected last year and grandstanded It did a bunch of dumb shit and, you know, a bunch of weirdo antics on the way off the court when he got ejected in that game against the Grizzlies last year. How could he sit and say that Dylan Brooks is going to be the reason why they don't dethrone Golden State or reach their full potential or any of that or why they're not ready? Dylan Brooks is allowed to be Dylan Brooks by that team, and for better or for worse, he brings intensity every game. I'm not a Dylan Brooks fan by any fucking stretch, but come on, Draymond. Really? You think we haven't watched your career? And look, it's not a debate about who's the better player. Of course, Draymond Green's an all-time great defensive player. He's very good in these dribble handoffs and setting these moving screens <laughs> that he sets and gets away with all the time. Yeah, he's, he's Draymond Green is a very important part of the Golden State Warriors. But his hate for Dylan Brooks, his dismissal of Dylan Brooks is a result of his hate for Dylan Brooks. And I think he's being a bit too brazen with his criticism of Dylan Brooks doing the exact same shit that he did back when Golden State was up and coming. I mean, come on, bro. You live in a glass house. We see you doing the exact same shit. Don't act like you're above it. That's my only argument there. Just, just come on, bro. Y'all are taking L's on the road left and right. Clean up your own backyard before you start talking about Golden uh, about uh, I'm sorry before you start talking about Memphis and fucking what their issues are you motherfuckers need to worry about getting out of the first round of playoffs winning the road game in the playoffs you need to worry about what's going on with Andrew Wiggins oops anyway let's move on to some things on my mind okay this is so interesting to me that people aren't talking more about this. They talked about it for about three days and then they've 
risen off of it, but Lamar Jackson. I know there was a lot of talk while I took this little hiatus for my podcast about Lamar Jackson, but it seemed like once that non-exclusive tag was put on Lamar Jackson, people sort of stopped talking about what led up to that day. And I didn't like that. What teams have come out and said they aren't going after Aaron Rodgers? Can you name them? Can you see any teams on the ESPN IG? Or if you go on ESPN, can you find any reports of teams that openly came out and said that they're not going after Aaron Rodgers? Why did they have to come out and announce they weren't going after Lamar Jackson? Does nobody see something wrong with this? Former MVP. Former leader in touchdown passes. Generational player. And teams are openly coming out and basically shunning him. No team has come out and announced, hey, we're in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes. We're interested in Lamar Jackson. None of these reporters have announced we're interested in Lamar Jackson, uh, that a team is interested in Lamar Jackson. I haven't leaked it out. I haven't said that their so-called sources told him that. So why is everybody all of a sudden off of Lamar Jackson? Is it the fact he doesn't have an agent? Do you not like having to negotiate directly with the player that you're trying to fuck over? Okay, if it's not that, then... Is it the fact that he was unwilling to risk his health without a guaranteed contract last year and people assume that he could have played? Is it that? Okay, maybe it's not that. Is it the fact that these teams are okay with losing? Yes, that's exactly what it is. These teams are okay with losing. The Atlanta Falcons came out and announced we are not interested in Lamar Jackson. Who gives a fuck? You guys suck. You're not interested in Lamar Jackson. Breaking news, you're not interested in winning. If you're a team that needs a quarterback and you're absolutely out on Lamar Jackson and you are not in draft position to draft one of these quarterbacks coming out, Bryce Young, for example, C.J. Stroud, then you're not interested in winning. That's what these teams need to say. We're not interested in winning. Because let's be very frank, there are a lot of teams that are not interested in winning. It's okay to admit that. You think Green Bay, and I'll transition... Do you think Green Bay is interested in winning? When the one offensive player that they drafted during Aaron Rodgers' prime was a replacement for Aaron Rodgers at his own position. Now, let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers went into his darkness retreat and he said on the Pat McAfee show that it was 90% to 10%, the ratio of him 
retiring to playing again. And when he went into that darkness retreat, the Packers basically left it open to him. Oh, we can do whatever you want, Aaron. If you want to come back, you can come back, Aaron. If you want to seek a trade, you can seek a trade, Aaron. This is what they claimed. Then he came out and he said people in his inner circle and other folks that he trusts with their information told him that the Packers were shopping him, looking to trade him, and he felt betrayed. And in my opinion, he didn't say this, but in my opinion, it put a chip on his shoulder and said, oh, you motherfuckers think I can't play no more. Y'all are trying to push me out the door? You fucking lied to me and told me if I want to come back, I could come back. If I want to trade, I can get a trade. And because I didn't give you a definitive answer, despite the fact that you knew my timetable and my process and I told you what it was and you claimed like you were okay with it. Now you want to renege. I think that's what he reacted with i think he would have retired if they left it up to him he probably would have said you know what nah i'm just gonna you know i'm gonna retire i'm I'm, I'm gonna take a step back and just exit stage left but no now he wants to play for the jets you know there's nothing i hate more than a player that is loyal to his fucking franchise a player that is really the main reason that his franchise has even been relevant after the Brett Favre era. I hate when teams shit on players like that. Because you always hear about this loyalty bullshit. Oh, loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. Oh, players are not loyal anymore. Oh, everything the franchise has done for them. Everything the fans have done for them. Bullshit. Bullshit. Before Alan Lazard played for Aaron Rodgers and elevated his level of play. Or, you know, I'll I'll phrase this in a better way than that. If Alan Lazard hadn't played with Aaron Rodgers... Would Alan Lazard even be valued as a big-time target in the league? We can talk about Devontae Adams' greatness because he is truly great. Are we to say that his career would be the same if he didn't play with Aaron Rodgers? I'm not a fan of hypotheticals, but come on. Some shit is just irresponsible to assume that he hasn't gotten players paid just based on how he slung the football and threw them open and put them in a position to be successful. I'm an Aaron Rodgers fan. I'm not as much of an Aaron Rodgers fan as I am a Tom Brady fan, but I'm a fan of Aaron Rodgers. Even if I wasn't, the way that people in general have been shitting on him is just weirdo behavior to me. It just is. When Green Bay had a chance to get a deal done with Devontae Adams, people blamed Aaron Rodgers for taking his money in the following offseason. They could have got a deal done the 
year before that, and they refused to. They want to play hardball. So Devontae left, and somehow Aaron Rodgers was blamed for that too. And then you got these fucking vaccine nerds that were mad because he, God forbid, didn't reveal fully his vaccination status to the fucking weirdos that will never be around him to begin with. Why are you so emotionally invested in that? Well, he's an anti-vaxxer. Who fucking cares, bruh? You motherfuckers politicizing football, politicizing sports over a fucking jab in your arm. So all this shit is why I'm glad that Aaron Rodgers goes on Pat McAfee's podcast to address big time announcements and to speak his mind. The media hates it because they can't spin it. They can't spin it. They can't use anonymous bullshit-ass sources. Everybody can just go on YouTube and find a Pat McAfee show, and that's why they fucking hate it. They're not in control anymore, and I love it. They're not in control of the narrative. They have to go by what he says on the Pat McAfee podcast. I fucking love it. It's just like J.J. Redick. He brings players on to speak their mind, tell the truth about what happened, at least from their view. You can't spin it. People can go back and find the footage of what Reddick and the players on his podcast said. And that opens up a bigger point for me when I talk about Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson, which is stop listening to these fucking media personalities that you look at as, you know fucking idols they're not they're trying to make a story they're trying to create a story they're trying to create buzz that's their fucking job don't take what they say as the gospel they claimed that this dude gave the jets a list of desirable players and he didn't confirm he wanted to play for them until they signed those dudes and you motherfuckers believe that shit You see how that shit works? You see how propaganda and bullshit in the media works? They've been doing it with Aaron Rodgers from day one. And it started with the Favre shit and it just kept going. Y'all got to pay more attention, man. Don't fall don't fall for everything that these fucking media personalities tell you, man. Cuz a lot of times it's bullshit conjecture with no true sources or sources telling them shit that the source thinks they want to hear, you know, like Dave Meltzer. That's another wrestling Easter egg for people who you know listen to wrestling podcasts or pay attention to wrestling in any form or fashion. Moving on, let's talk about this last topic here. I'm sorry, one of the last topics. Um, Bones Jones is surreal gone. I did not get to review that match because I was on hiatus, but there's not much to review. Bones dominated. Bones didn't show any sort of 
rust. He didn't show any sort of adjustment period he needed to that weight in the scope of an MMA match. It was impressive. Gone couldn't land a shot on him, and he's probably the best striker in the division. Very impressive. He just reiterates that he is the greatest of all time. And now we have Stipe and Bones at some point this year. I'm excited for that fight because I'm always excited to see Bones fight. I'm always excited to see Stipe fight. I don't think this fight is quite as big as Nganu and Bones would be, but it's a pretty big fight. Stipe is obviously much better on the ground than Gon is. I think Bones would be a bit more hesitant to take Stipe down or to attempt to take him down. Stipe could probably, he could definitely punch with Bones. I don't know if he could strike overall with Bones. I think if Bones is able to stand in the pocket and he's not in his back foot and he could just kind of pick his shots, I think it might be a long night for Stipe. Um, But that's a very interesting fight. As far as the Leon Edwards and, and Usman fight, I did not watch that fight, but based on some people that I trust, as far as you know, reviews of the fight, it just seems like Usman's done, man. His knees are bad. And his knees were bad before this. So, I think it's time for him to transition. He had a great championship run, man. He beat Woodley and he cleaned that division out. Beat Covington twice. No, the only thing he didn't do was, I guess, move up in weight, which is, you know, the popular thing to do in UFC. But Usman had a great career. I think he should just call it quits, man. I don't think he's going to beat Leon Edwards at this point. I think it only gets worse. Edwards lost a point and still ended up winning. He probably dominated on the feet because that's what he did last fight. Like I said, whenever he let go of volume and threw volume shots, in the middle of the cage, the few times he did it, Usman couldn't really handle that. And then he got caught with a head kick, and that was it. So now we get Edwards versus Covington, which I don't agree with. I think Covington should have to fight Kamzat. How do you pronounce his name? Kazmat? I don't... Yeah. Chemaev. He should have to fight Chemaev. Covington should have to fight Chemaev. He shouldn't just automatically get a title shot. I don't think Covington can I don't I don't say I don't think he can beat him. I don't think he does beat Chemayev though. And I don't think Leon beats Chemayev either. There's a lot of motherfuckers I don't think beats Chemayev. Chemayev is a stud. I think Covington versus Chemayev for a number one contender shot. And then the winner faces Leon Edwards. But it won't happen. You know they're gonna throw Covington in there. The fucking Golden Goose. Dana fucking loves Kobe Covington and this fucking newfound personality he has. That's all a put on, but he's still a dickhead. Anyway, last but not least, let's talk about March Madness. Couldn't end this episode without talking about March Madness. Um, There have been so many upsets this year. Already, just in the first weekend, ton of upsets. And I said in the outset of this podcast, I think it was due to fraudulent number one seeds, and I I maintain that. I think that there are a lot of fraudulent one seeds 
and there have been for the past two or three years. Quite frankly, this one-and-done situation took a serious hit or dealt a serious serious hit to college basketball just based on the fact that superstars are leaving after one year and they're going to the NBA. Instead of just skipping college altogether, which, no, the NCAA couldn't have that, them and the NBA basically have a fucking unwritten agreement, you know, hey, just, you can rent them out for a year and then they'll come play in the NBA, which I think is bullshit, but whatever. The one-and-done status and also the fact that the talent is more spread out now and they don't really give a fuck about playing alongside each other in college as much as they would in the NBA, I think those two things have taken a big hit to these teams that usually are pretty fucking dominant. There are no dominant teams in college basketball anymore. And a big part of the reason why... I stopped watching college basketball was the fact that there are no dominant teams because dominant teams to me create way better storylines than it being a wide open field. It being a wide open field is better for the quality of games, I suppose, but I care about storylines when I watch sports and what are the storylines that are always created? It's about favorites. It's about the favorited team, the team that is favored to win it all. Far and, you know, far above everybody else. That's the team that's always talked about. It's why people hate the Yankees. It's why people hated the Patriots. It's why people still to this day hate the Cowboys, despite the fact they really haven't been the favorites for a while. When you have the Fab Five, who... People began to hate because they were creating a change in the culture of college basketball. When you have teams like Duke back when Leitner was there, right? And these guys stay for three or four years. It creates a culture of you love us or you hate us, right? But now there's no love or hate. It's just, okay, yeah, this team's okay. They're not bad. Oh, yeah, this team is probably the best team in the nation. Then they lose and it's like on to the next one, right? And to me, that's just, it's not interesting. There's no storylines with that. The biggest storyline of college basketball this year was Brandon Miller giving his friend a gun to go and kill a girl. Allegedly, that was the purpose of him handing that gun off. I'm not going to get into the particulars of that, but my point is, If that's the biggest storyline of college basketball instead of anything that happened on the court in college basketball, it speaks volumes. There's no superstars in college basketball anymore. The last truly transcendent player in college basketball was Zion Williamson. So I say all that to say, to me, that's why there are so many upsets. Because these players are not staying long enough or all teaming up like they used to on Kentucky to create a team that these old heads and, you know, college basketball purists can hate because they went and quote-unquote teamed up, right? It's what everybody bitches about. 
There's no more of that. And I think it's seriously dealt a hit to college basketball and the popularity of college basketball. And it definitely has my viewership. Now, as far as who's going to win it all, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. I think when you have this transition of coaches out of college basketball that I grew up on, like Coach K and Bayheim and Roy Williams, I think that's another thing that makes it so you can't really look at a team and say, well, I know that team is well coached. I'm going to take them. I mean, I guess Michigan State with Tom Izzo, but I don't think they have the talent to beat a team like Alabama. It's a toss-up, and I just I, th- I think it's a negative and a positive. It's a positive if you just want to watch good basketball, right? But if you're somebody like me that is interested in the storylines of the sport because that just makes the games feel more important when a team like Alabama would be playing. Like, let's say Alabama had a team like when Kentucky had John Wall and Eric Bledsoe and DeMarcus Cousins, right? Everybody wanted them to lose. But with Alabama, yeah, they're number one seed, but nobody's out here really preying on their downfall unless they just hate Brandon Miller. So I don't really know. I don't know who's going to win. I mean, I guess I would take Alabama because they're one seed. I'm not very confident in that. I think UCLA, I think UCLA could win it all. I'm not too sure. As far as women's basketball, that's not the case. South Carolina is grandfathered in as the best team in college basketball, women's college basketball. And they're proving it again this year. The women's players stay three, four years. They still do that. So you have your Connecticut's and your South Carolinas and teams that people cheer against because these players have been a fabric of the school for three or four years. You don't have that in men's college basketball anymore. You don't have the Breonna Stewart's. Or, or the Aaliyah Boston's or, you know, Brittany Griner or you name them. Those girls stayed at those schools for three or four years and dominated college basketball. So you had something to look forward to the next year, them coming back. Paige Beckers, even though she's, you know, she keeps getting these really bad injuries, you know, you had something to look forward to with her. Haley Van Lift. She's having her coming out party right now in the tournament and lifting Louisville over these teams that are favored over or or over her team. Texas was favored. So that's my thing is just I wish that men's college basketball would get back to where women's college basketball currently is, but it never will. It's only going to get worse. Pretty soon, I'm sure they'll just say the kids can go straight to the NBA again. But those are my thoughts on college basketball and March Madness. I mean, it's been pretty entertaining, but to me, I miss the dominant teams of yesteryear. In general, that is pretty much going to do it for this podcast. I didn't want to talk you guys ear off, talk you guys. Man, I just, damn. Can't talk for shit. I didn't want to talk y'all's ears off for too long today. I just wanted to kind of make my return and talk about a few topics. 
And I know some stuff is going to pop up in the coming days, and I'll definitely make some videos about that and put out some content about that because I want to be a lot more active on this page outside of the podcast. I definitely want to grow this podcast. I want to thank you for everybody that's been listening to the podcast, everybody that's been sharing the podcast, liking the podcast. Um, As I always say, we are on Stitcher. We are on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcasts. Obviously, we're on YouTube right now. We are anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Just type in Power Hour with Free Royal, and we are right there. Until next week, I hope you all stay safe, stay productive. And y'all have a great weekend. I'll be back later this week with more content. And yeah, man, until then, peace.